Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Cowie, our new Interactive Investor columnist and contributor. Ian joined the Sunday Times as personal account columnist in 2013. The Association of Investment Companies judged him to be the best freelance journalist in 2019, 2018 and 2017. He was named Consumer Affairs Journalist of the Year in the 2012 London Press Club Awards, having been personal finance editor of the Daily Telegraph since 1989. He joined the Telegraph as City Reporter in 1986. Writing about savings and investments since then, as an enthusiastic investment trust shareholder, he has seen and survived several stock market shops. Well, first and foremost, welcome Ian, and thanks very much for giving up some of your time for us. Glad to be here. Good afternoon. Well, where better to start than at the beginning? Uh, if I could ask you, why did you begin a career in journalism, especially financial journalism? I like to know what's going on, and being a journalist gives you a reason to find out, and also the means to do so. Um, particularly financial journalists have frequent access to some of the brightest and best informed people in the country. Uh, unless that sounds a bit smug, I would emphasize that of course they're not just speaking to me or you Richard, they're speaking to our readers. That's why very important people who are busy uh, will usually be prepared to give us some of their time to tell our readers what's going on. Okay, so that's absolutely right. So, so what, do you, what would you say you enjoy about your job? Um, I think it's endlessly fascinating. As soon as you think you understand what markets are up to, they surprise you, and not always pleasantly. Yeah. Um, there are, of course, millions of other participants, just like you and me, uh, trying to get an edge and it's a very competitive environment it's an environment where everyone has an opinion um, and what makes it really interesting is that we're all putting our money where our mouth is you certainly won't be right all of the time but if you can be right more of the time than you get it wrong it can also be uh, very rewarding uh, I think financial journalism, even in the days when we came into the trade, you know, before digital journalism, it was always the most interactive form of journalism. I often look at entertainment journalism or sports journalism, and I think, well, what does it matter? Why would I care? But with financial journalism, you can see why it matters, because there are numbers with pound signs in front of them, or dollar signs, or yen, or euro. And it's very important to get it right. Getting it right can change your life. And although some people think that uh, money is a subject sh that should never be discussed, I think in the modern world where more and more people are having to save for their old age, it is an important subject to keep abreast of. And it's a privilege and a pleasure uh, to work for Interactive Investor and help people make the most of their savings and save effectively. Absolutely. And of course, that education process is one which has been increasing in scale since the 1980s. And I think there's much more of a, 
uh, much more of an acceptance and an understanding of, of just how important long-term saving and investments uh, now is and, and perhaps has always been. Yes, I, I think in the past, a lot of people, my father's generation, my grandfather's generation, um, you know, they tended to rely on the government. Dear, oh dear, that didn't work <laughs> out. Or perhaps paternalistic employers. The assumption was that your employer would provide a company pension. You didn't need to bother your head about it. Well, that didn't work out very well either for a lot of people. These days, increasingly, and, and for most people already in the private sector, um, they have to engage with the stock market in some way, directly or indirectly, via pooled funds, or make sense for most people, such as investment trusts or unit trusts or exchange-traded funds. They've got to engage with, it, with the stock market because it's the only way, um, via securities at least, to save and invest effectively for the long term. So it's not like saying, I'm not interested in cricket or poetry. You can opt out of these things and they're never gonna bite you on the bum. But op trying to opt out of the world of finance is an extremely dangerous thing to do. Because, you know, in, in course of my career, more in the past than now, you know, quite often at editorial conferences, you know, somebody from the Colour magazine would say, oh, pensions, how boring. <laughs> and I would say, oh, really? You know, if you think pensions are boring, how exciting do you think poverty and old age is going to be? You know, I really do believe that this is an area where most people really receive no guidance whatsoever at school. You know, we're very badly prepared for this task. And... Uh, most of us, certainly in the private sector, have to engage with it sooner or later. So what sort of thing are you looking for in an investment? Uh, at the moment, I do like to receive some dividends. I think the discipline of dividend investing helps to keep things real. It's not all dreams of capital gains tomorrow, which might or might not appear and can of course disappear in a puff of smoke or a profits warning or a bit of bad news. Uh, with dividends, um, there, there is a discipline there because the company's got to find the cash to pay the dividends. Um, but of course the difficulty is that if you lean too heavily on the dividend yield, you may find that you're investing in the industries of the past very mature companies that haven't got a lot of growth left in them and are throwing off a lot of cash. Uh, and so you can end up in what are called in the jargon value traps, you know, uh, high yield, the price of a high income today might be capital erosion tomorrow or a lack of growth. And so again, for most people, I think it's a balance. It's a mixture of yielders and growth shares. Same goes for funds. So I certainly have both types of asset in my, what I call forever fund, because my ideal holding period would be forever. Of course, in terms of where we are at the moment, it's becoming uh, increasingly difficult uh, to um, find that dividend income with so many companies having deferred, postponed or cancelled their dividend, at least for the time being. Yes. Um, we've had a total of about £18 billion worth of dividends cut or cancelled so far this year. Uh, the one that really hit the headlines, of course, was the 
um, suspension of dividends by all the banks uh, last week at the behest of the government and uh, the regulators. And uh, I feel very strongly that this is being badly covered in much of the media because they're still laboring under the impression that shareholders are fat cats smoking cigars with top hats and pinstripe suits. Whereas, of course, the vast majority of shareholders these days are ordinary people saving for their own retirement, often with quite modest sums of money involved. Uh, interestingly, I noticed that uh, Tesco, which is a track, I'm not a shareholder of Tesco, uh, the nearest I'm shareholder there is uh, Sainsbury's, but uh, I noticed that Tesco uh, were criticised by some very uninformed people, I thought, uh, for uh, maintaining, sustaining their, their dividend payout. Um, and they came back and pointed out that they have 250,000 individual investors the vast majority of whom own less than a thousand shares. So we're not talking about fat cats, we're talking, including of course, many of Tesco's employees uh, will have some shares in the company and would rather like to be able to save for their own retirement rather than just relying on politicians' promises, which is what the state pension amounts to. And of course, as everybody who's looked at it knows, the state pension is a Ponzi scheme. It's, it's relying on this week's national insurance contributions by people who are still in work uh, to pay for next week's pension payments to old people. And that is a system, that is a, it's a, it's a, a basis of pension funding that is so dangerous it would be illegal in the private sector. It's only legal because it's the government doing it. But the fact remains that all these people who are relying on the state pension are relying on, pen, on, on politicians' promises. And the politicians who are making the promises today will probably be off the scene by the time you come to collect your pension. So I think it's a very dangerous, dangerous basis to uh, fund retirement. Yeah, and it's very interesting that you should mention Tesco in those four-year results because I think they got a slightly unfair rap, to be honest. People were, as you say, uh, ill-informedly making the point that they were getting something like £585,000 worth of business rates relief. But, uh, of course, Tesco themselves said that as a result of the additional investment they've needed to make as a result of the uh, epidemic, their costs could run from anything between... Uh, 650 and 925 million pounds not least of which the 45,000 staff that have been employed in the last two weeks alone who of course may recently uh, have lost their their job so they're in some ways apart from uh, co contributing to the to the tax income they're also uh, saving a number of individuals um, but in, in terms of uh, overall investment yes um, I think you're absolutely right. I think the best we can hope for maybe in, in the short to medium term is that there will be some pent-up demand where some of these companies who have decided to defer the dividend perhaps didn't need that cash after all and we could see something of a spike, uh, ideally towards the, uh, the latter part of 2020. Yeah, well, we, we, you know, we live in hope. I mean, the history of the stock market has been described as the triumph of the optimists. You know, the easiest way to simulate wisdom about stock markets is perennial pessimism. But unfortunately, that's not the way to make money. Um, and I also happen to think that only in Britain could some reduction in the tax burden be regarded as a gift from the government. It's not a gift from the government. They're, they're merely allowing these businesses to pay slightly less tax than they already do and will continue to do. 
They pay an enormous amount of tax in national insurance contributions, the employers and employees national insurance contributions, income tax for the salaries paid to the employees, and also, of course, income tax on the dividends paid to the shareholders. It's all taxed. The government isn't giving Tesco anything. All it's doing is it's saying it's going to temporarily lighten the tax burden on supermarkets who are in very difficult circumstances continuing to feed the country. Here, here. The inevitable question in uh, interviews such as these, Ian, uh, in terms of what's been your best and uh, obviously worst investment? <laughs> well, let, let's start with the worst one. Um, <laughs> a real car crash. I thought I was buying a rock steady, low risk investment when I, when, I, when I bought shares in Volkswagen, one of the biggest uh, car makers in the world. Uh, that would have been in um, January of 2014. And so I, I put in a full allocation of 2% of my forever fund. And I was on holiday at the end of the, towards the end of the following year, September of 15, um, looking at Klimt and Sheila paintings in Vienna, um, uh, when I saw a tiny item in a trade newspaper that I read on my phone uh, saying the, there was a suggestion that BW have been deceiving the American um, pollution tests. And I looked at it, this was a Friday afternoon, I was in uh, the Belvedere Palace, looking, actually, actually looking at Messerschmitt heads, I don't know if you've ever seen these, they're, they're, they're terrific carvings of... Uh, people with very extreme facial expressions. And they, they, they were made in the 18th century and they looked like they were made yesterday. Anyway, uh, quite relevant because a lot of these people look as if they're in pain. I was in some pain when I read this item because I thought, well, if this is true, VW are in serious trouble. But it was such a small item and I couldn't find a word about it anywhere else. So I thought, I can't believe it. So like an idiot, I, I, I was like, a, I was like stuck in the headlights, headlights and didn't do anything. The following day, Saturday morning, um, one of the VW uh, directors confirmed the story and all hell broke loose. I said to my wife, if they open less than 10% down on Monday, I'll sell the lot. They opened 14% down. So again, like an idiot, I hung on and they kept falling through that Monday. Uh, so I sold them first thing on the Tuesday and... Uh, I, by the time the currency effect taken into account, I'd, I'd lost over 40% of my money uh, in just over a year. So that was, uh, that was a very painful lesson. Um, from it, I learned the importance of diversification. If we were to say I, I lost half my money because it was going on that way, it was over 40%. Uh, it still wasn't too bad because I'd only got 2% of the fund in that particular stock. Yep. So losing half it meant nearly 1% of the, of the fund disappeared. Uh, so it was painful, but diversification saved the day. I also learned that, of course, big isn't the, safest, the same as safe. Uh, so that, that, that was probably my worst mistake, given the amount of money involved. And a much happier story, again involving my wife. Uh, five years ago, it was the beginning of 15, um, I noticed that Sue and her girlfriends were getting into what became a bit of a craze for gin and tonics. And I got bored of saying to them that I thought it was crazy spending £30 on a bottle of boutique gin when I noticed they were also buying quite pricey uh, tonic, uh, which I happened to know had, uh, had just listed on the stock market. So 
I invested in fever tree drinks at two pounds and eleven pence per share uh, in March of 2015, as I reported at that time. And uh, long story short, I sold uh, half of those shares at thirty-six pounds and fifty-two pence per share on October the first, 2018, um, when, along with selling about a tenth of the other nine top ten. Uh, shareholdings in my forever fund. Um, it helped to buy the uh, uh, coastal cottage I'm sitting in now. Now that's a that's a proper investment story. Um, <laughs> here we are, 2020. Um, we all know about what a what a difficult first quarter we've been through. The like that very likely to be mirrored in the second quarter at least. Uh, are you in any way concerned about uh, your pension fund? Uh, and are you making any changes to your investing approach? Well, I'm constantly tweaking it. Uh, uh, I'm constantly reinvesting dividends. Um, I'm currently fully invested, as I usually am, uh, because I'm not a day trader. I'm not a believer in market timing. I think for most people, uh, a much simpler and safer approach to investment is to try to pick companies you expect to be there long after we're gone, buy the shares and hold them forever. Uh, there are people who think they're clever enough to be in and out, but I'm not one of them. Uh, so yes, I'm constantly, there's always a sort of constant touch on the tiller, reinvesting dividends. Sometimes there'll be a bit of bad news, which change, you know, as a uh, famous economist John Maynard Keynes said, when the facts change, I change my mind. So you mustn't be shy about doing that. Uh, only uh, last week, when HSBC, along with all the other banks, was forced to cut its dividend by political intervention, um, when there was absolutely no need to do so, it had the profits, it had made the profits, it had the cash on hand, uh, I thought, well, this reminds me that everybody hates the banks, and that's not good for business. And they tend to get, they tend to be a bit of an Aunt Sally. Uh, when times are hard, they, they get a knock because everyone thinks, oh, they can afford to, uh, you know, provide free money. Um, so I sold my HSBC shares uh, last week. So, you know, facts do change and I have to change the portfolio. But to go back to the first part of your question, I'm not particularly worried, no because I have been saving and investing for a long time, more than a quarter of a century. Uh, I've certainly made my fair share of mistakes. VW is far from being the only one. Um, but the overall effect has been highly satisfactory. Uh, I mean, one of the things I regret is that so many people are still lumbered with this totally outdated perception of the stock market. I mean, really, it, you know, as, as, as a much smarter man than, my point, than I am pointed out many years ago, you know, investing in the stock market is simple, but it's not easy. It doesn't have to be terribly complicated. You could look at what your wife's doing and think people are spending a lot of money here. Why don't I buy a, a stake in that business? Um, so in a sense, you know, to simplify matters, I, I would say most people work for money. Investing in the stock market is a way of making money work for you. Perfect. And uh, finally, Ian, just as a slightly off-field question, what do you think you might be doing if you weren't writing about investing? I'd be a general news reporter, which is what I was before I decided I need to earn a bit more money 
and uh, became a financial journalist. Uh, my father was a postman. I was brought up in a council flat uh, in, when Kilburn was still a slum. Uh, so I needed to make a living and uh, I could see that the Kilburn Times was not the ideal place to do that over the long term. That's brilliant. Well, thank you once again, Ian, for your time and uh, spending these uh, absolute polls from your years of investment experience with us. Uh, no doubt we'll speak again soon. So thanks very much, Ian. Uh, and thank you also for listening to our in Interactive Investor podcast. And do please join us next time.